0: We have a Bible study this morning. We are in the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter. What chapter are we in? Chapter 11. Raise your hand. If you need a Bible, we'll get one to you right now. 1 Corinthians, chapter 11. And we will be having a communion tonight at 5 o'clock service. 5 o'clock service. Come join us. We're going to take communion together. And you'll see why this morning. I mean, we, you guys know we normally take it once or twice a month, um, usually on Wednesday nights. But um, this morning, we are learning again about uh, communion and uh, the Lord's Supper and what that's all about. So, very important to tune in this morning. And just to uh, kind of catch us up to speed, um, we left off in verse 17. And just, I want to set the context this morning. I think it's absolutely crucial and vital that we understand. Um, The Apostle Paul is writing this letter to um, a group of people, a church that um, he knows very well. He's familiar with them. He had spent uh, a significant amount of time with them. He planted the church. He pastored the church. He poured his life into these people. And after he had left, you know, Paul's a church planter. After he planted that church, pastored for a while, he continued to keep doing what God called him to do. And while he was gone, some serious problems arose in the church. And this morning, we can be thankful for that because problems sometimes do arise, correct? I've heard about certain churches around the area, not this church, but I've heard certain areas or churches problems, there's problems in all churches, But what's so beautiful is that the Apostle Paul helps us. He gives us instruction on how to work through those and to avoid those in order that the church wouldn't be divided and there wouldn't be a bunch of drama and a bunch of problems within the Lord's church. And so Paul is writing, this is a corrective letter. And you guys know he's been dealing with one, uh, one problem after another with the Corinthians, addressing those. And we began uh, this chapter, chapter 11, and the Apostle Paul was um, reminding the church, teaching the church that um, our God is a God of order, and God's order extends into the church. There's to be order in the church, and there's to be order in the church within our homes as well. And Paul lifted up Jesus as our example, correct? Jesus was lovingly submitted to the Father in all things. He laid down his life for us. And so Paul began this chapter by saying, imitate me as, just as I also imitate Christ. Follow me as I follow the Lord. And so um, the Corinthians, however, <laughs> were not really following Paul's pattern. Um, In fact, um, they had an attitude problem. Many of them had an attitude problem and an attitude of superiority looking down on others in the church. The church had divided into little groups and subgroups and um, little subcultures within the church and they would rally around their favorite leader um, to the exclusion of others. We're better than this little group and our clique is better than yours because of this. And you remember Paul began the letter that way, didn't he? Right, The groups were, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Cephas, I'm of this pastor, I'm of this leader. And Paul is saying, listen, that should not happen. Jesus prayed that we would be one as he and the Father are one. And so when the church gathered, there was chaos, there was confusion, um, there was conflict. In the church, and so Paul um, he shifts gears in chapter eleven and he 's talking about our church services when we gather together as a family, and uh, in ancient times, just like today, they would gather on Sundays, they would gather in homes, sometimes in homes. But the church of Corinth apparently met in one place. We're going to read in just a moment, just like we do here. We have home fellowships, but we also gather together on Wednesdays and Sundays together as a family. And so when they would gather together, they would do what? They would worship the Lord. They would have a time in God's word. And then they would also have a time of breaking bread together. They would have like what we would consider a potluck. Don't you? You guys love, you guys like potlucks. I know you guys do. We're, right, we're Calvary Chapel, right? That's the one thing we can do, right? Hopefully, it's not the only thing we do well. Um, we want to do things like the Lord all things well, but they would get together and they would. It was called an agape feast or a love feast, and they would get together and they would share food together, um, big potluck, and then afterwards. They would take the Lord's Supper. They would take communion together. Well, we see in Corinth they had everything jacked up. <laughs> and Paul's going to try to help them work all through that. And um, we're going to see not only does God care about order, as we learned at the beginning of chapter 11, he cares about how we treat one another too, doesn't he? Doesn't God care how we treat one another within the body of Christ? This is, this is like a major theme in this chapter. There's a heavy warning. I'm just going to give you a heads up, kind of a preemptive strike Heavy warning. If we are unloving towards one another in the body of Christ, we may be inviting God's corrective judgment into our lives. It's heavy, isn't it? So we don't want that. I mean, it's an expression of his love, his correction, but we need to be loving. He's called us to love one another, has he not? Jesus said that, that the whole world would be able to distinguish us by what our love one another, correct? You guys with me? That would be our distinguishing mark, and so let's check it out. There's three sections we're going to look at this morning. Here's the first one, 17 to 22. God's Word says, Paul writes, Now, in giving these instructions, I do not praise you, since you come together, not for the better, but for the worse. For first of all, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and in part, I believe it. For there must also be factions among you, that those who are approved may be recognized among you. Therefore, when you come together in one place, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. Why? For in eating, each one takes his own supper ahead of others. And one is hungry and another is drunk. What? I mean, look at that exclamation. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you. And so Paul says, listen, I'm giving you instructions. In these instructions, I am not praising, I'm not commending you. I'm not giving you an affirmation in the things that I'm sharing with you. Listen, when you come together, and that's that's a key phrase we're going to see here, coming together, coming together, coming together. When you come together, not when you come together, your church meetings are doing more harm than good. That's not good, is it? Listen, God, God's intent, His purpose for us is that we would gather together, correct? In fact, we're told in, he, in the book of Hebrews, what? We're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. It's something that we are to do regularly. God intended for us to gather together regularly. But when we gather together, listen, we, it's, it shouldn't be for the worse. It should be for the better. We should be strengthened spiritually. There should, our love for one an, our love for the Lord and our love for one another should be growing and flowing. Um, we should be serving one another, fellowshipping together as well. And so our treatment of one another affects whether we come together for the good or for the worse. And so Paul tells us why. What, what are the issues? Verse 18. First of all, number one, what does he say? When you come together? Notice, as a church. He doesn't say at church, right? The church is not a building, correct? Is the church just the building? No, it's us. It's the body of Christ. It's the believers. We are the church. And church, in Greek, the word is, who knows the Greek word? Ekklesia, thank you. It means called out ones. We've been, as Christians, as brothers and sisters, we've been called out of darkness, correct? Colossians 1 called into the Lord's marvelous light. We've been called out of something, but we've also been called to something. We've been called to fellowship with our Lord Jesus Christ, to be connected to him, and to be connected to one another. Are you guys with me still? Very important. And so Paul says, listen, there's a narc. I heard about what's going on over there. There's divisions among you. Again, I'm hearing that that's taking, a, it's regularly happening, a regularly scheduled program in your church is the divisions. You're not one. You're not, Jesus prayed that we would be one as he and the Father are one. You're not one. You're not unified. You're not together. You're not connected. You're, you're, your fellowship, in other words, is fractured is the idea. It's broken apart. And he says in verse 19, there's also factions, of course there's factions, there's little groups, little teams gathering together. When you exalt certain leaders, that's what happens. When you lift up a man over other men, you're going to have schisms and factions and divisions. And by the way, um, that word is also heresy. Therefore, um, what's the word for factions or divisions, discord? The Bible tells us in Proverbs that God hates the one that sows discord among the brethren. That's heavy. God hates that person that sows discord or division amongst the brethren. Titus 3, in Titus chapter 3, I think it's verse 10 through 11, we are told how to deal with someone that is divisive. Listen, God wants us to put a stop to that, to not allow that to continue. Because if you just ignore it, guess what happens? That faction grows more and more, and it becomes more and more detrimental and dangerous to the body of Christ. And so divisions and factions are a serious problem. And the Lord does not want us to be divided, correct? I'm so thankful for the unity we have as a church, by the way. How we are together uh, and unified around Jesus and the mission that he's called us to as a church. It's glorious. But we need to guard our unity, gang, to protect that. The Bible tells us in Ephesians 4 to endeavor to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. It takes an endeavoring to keep that oneness, that that connectivity, if you will. And Paul says, look at verse 20 with me. And and he's saying here, when you gather together, you're not gathering together for the Lord's Supper. In light of your divisions, in light of the, the divisiveness, the schisms, the issues, when you gather together in one place, notice that in one location you're not gathering to celebrate the Lord's Supper. You're not connected to one another. That's that's why you're not celebrating the Lord's Supper. In fact, he said earlier in chapter 10 that when we take the cup of blessing, when we take the bread together, it's, it's significant. We're remembering our connection with Jesus and our connection with one another. You guys remember in that culture when you would share a meal together, what did that mean? It meant you were connecting life with that person. Are you with me? That's what, that's what it symbolized. You, so when you would dip your bread in the olive oil or whatever, and you would take a piece, I would take a piece, someone else would take a piece, we're sharing the same bread. That bread that's in you is one bread that's in you, it's in me. It connects us all together. Are you with me? Kind of like if you had some tortillas at lunch, right? All, all from the same bag. <laughs> But it, I mean, Jesus said, remember what Jesus said in Revelation 3, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone opens up, I will come in and, what, dine with him and him with me. It speaks of a connection, intimacy, fellowship. That's what the Lord's Supper is all about. And we're going to read about that in just a moment. And Paul's saying, when you gather, you're not gathering together for the Lord's Supper. Your treatment of others, of one another, and your irreverent attitude have reduced communion to a meaningless ritual. That's heavy. How? Look at verse 21. How did it happen? Well, look what's happening. Some people are are getting their food before others, and some people are hungry, some people are drunk. What was going on? Well, here's the deal. There was also a, uh, a tension within the church between a caste system, the rich and the poor in the church. Are you with me? It still happens today. There's wealthy... Families and there's not so wealthy families, and we, the the thing about being in Christ is that we are—it's all a level playing field. We are all one in Christ, right? No longer slave nor free, uh, Jew nor Greek. We are all one in Him. The problem was the rich brought the bulk of the food to the potluck, while the poorer brothers and sisters didn't have a whole lot to bring. And what would happen is when they would have the meal, all the rich would go feast on all their food and the poorer brothers and sisters, guess what? They were hungry and they took their food. They would grab their food and they would go get in their little, their little huddle, their little holiness huddle. Don't come near us. We're eating over here. And another group would eat over here and there's the poor. And it was probably one of the only good meals they had during the week was at church. And these people cared so much about me, 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 me. It's all Church is all about me. I need to get my food. It's all about me feeding. It's all about me getting what I want. Church, listen, this morning, I love you. Church is not all about you. It's not. It's about Jesus. It's about loving him and loving one another. I mean, it's been ja- because Paul said about the end times that there would be, we would be lovers of ourselves rather than lovers of God. And that's what the church has turned into. It's nothing new under the sun. It's a me-fest. It's all about me. What am I getting from me, 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 me? It's not about you. It's about the Lord and his precious people that he paid his precious blood for. And so they're gathering together. There's partiality, favoritism. Um, Jesus died to make us equal. And so what? One is hungry, one, and there were some of these brothers getting drunk. Just like the background, remember the background these people were coming out of? They were worshiping Zeus and Apollo and all these other gods, and their, their worship services were getting drunk and partying and you know, debauchery. And they're carrying that It's bleeding into the church, right? Is that, that's what's happening here. They're getting drunk also. And Paul, look at verse 22. Isn't this great what Paul says? What? Are you kidding me? That's his response here. What with an exclamation point? You're acting like a bunch of selfish pigs. Don't you have a home? Can't you eat before church? Can't you eat, stuff your face, and then come to church so that other people can eat is the idea? Or are you that selfish that you don't even see what's happening here? Do you despise God's church? Are you looking down at God's church? That's what he's saying here. Or thinking nothing of God's church? Are you trying to shame or dishonor or disgrace those brothers? Those brothers and sisters, are they second-class citizens in your eyes? That you would do that to them? You would treat them that way? Paul's like, what should I say to you? Think I should applaud you? He's like, no way, man. Congratulate you? No way. And Paul, I love what Paul does here. He brings it back to Jesus. Because Jesus is central, isn't he? We need to bring it back to Jesus because he's going to talk about, he's going to immediately begin to talk about the communion service. And what he's saying is your behavior is out of sync with what communion is all about. Your behavior is out of sync with what the Lord has done for you. The way you're acting, you're proclaiming you don't even know what communion is all about. They got their eyes off Jesus. You guys ever get your eyes off Jesus? You guys get your eyes off Jesus? I heard a lot of honking horns this morning. Not seeing a lot of shaking heads. This no, I'm, I'm dialed in, man. We get our I, I do. We get our eyes off Jesus, we act like jerks, don't we? Selfish, crabby babies. And they're not imitating Jesus in their behavior. Is that what happens? They looked just like the world in their behavior and their treatment of others. And Paul's like, he brings it back to communion, to the Lord's Supper. It is a big deal. Look what he says in verse 23. Here's the second section we're going to look at. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. So Paul's retelling the story of that night when Jesus was betrayed. That the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. And so Paul says, listen, this is what I received from Jesus. I directly received this from Jesus, and now I'm giving it to you. Again, Paul now retells the story, right? The night when our Lord was betrayed, he gathered his disciples together. And again, it wasn't all about Jesus. He was focused on them, pouring into them, loving them. He's about to go to the cross and suffer for you and for me. And he's not all turned in, me, myself, and I. He's others-centered the whole time. And he's pouring into them. John 14, 15, and 16. You can, you can read what, how he poured into them. But it says here, he took the bread. He took the bread into his hands, and what did he do? Number one, he thanks the Father. They're in the upper room there at the table. He takes the bread, looks up to heaven, thanks the Father, and then he took the bread, and now he begins to break it and give it to each disciple there, and told them to what? Take this and eat it. And notice what he says, this is my body. This is symbolic of my body, which is broken for you. Listen, broken for you and I this morning as well. Not only corporately, but individually, each one of us. Jesus gave his life for us. Isaiah 53 tells us that Jesus was bruised, he was crushed, literally beat to pieces for our iniquities. He allowed himself to be crushed for us. And that bread that is broken reminds us of his body broken, for you and for me, him laying down his life for us. And Jesus said, do this continually to be reminded of him, to bring to mind what he did for us, to be reminded of that, to to recollect the amazing sacrifice that he made on our behalf. And listen, taking the bread also reminds us not only are we gloriously connected, intimately connected with Jesus, but with one another also. The binding of our hearts. The uniting of our lives together. We are a family, the family of God. And it's special. Jesus went on to say, likewise, he took the cup. When the supper had ended, he took the cup. And he said to his disciples, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This cup, this cup symbolic of the new covenant. The new covenant, if you're taking notes, Hebrews chapter 8, Jeremiah 31, the new covenant, it's not only, not only entails a complete forgiveness of sins. God says their sins and their lawless deeds, I will remember no more. Good time for an amen or a hallelujah or something, nodding at the head. <laughs> Your sins have been washed away. Fresh start. Baggage. Listen, baggage is gone, man. <laughs> no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And not just that, what happens when you you place your trust in Jesus Christ? He comes into our hearts, and what happens? He transforms us. How awesome is that? God changes you. So quit trying to change everybody else. That's part of the new covenant. He comes into our hearts and changes us from the inner core of our being. As we're spending time with Him in His Word, being transformed by the renewing of our minds. And not just that, but wait, there's more. It's like one of those cool commercials, right? The new, the new bullet hose, right? You know, it folds up automatically on its own and it doesn't kink. But wait, there's more. It does this. No. The new covenant, but wait, there's more. You have a real relationship with the true and the living God, and you can walk with Him every day. That's beautiful. Journey with Jesus, fresh start, baggage gone, God changing us. The new covenant was ratified by the blood of Jesus Christ. The giving of His life. What does that mean? Let me share with you real quick. The Father sent the Son to save us from our sins. The Father sent the Son to save us from our sins. We are sinners. We are lawbreakers. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. If we've broken one commandment, James says, guess what? You've broken them all, buckaroo, chica. You've broken them all, man. The Son lovingly submitted to the Father's plan father's will. And he, what did he do? He laid down his life. The son absorbed all of the wrath and punishment that we deserved for our sins. In other words, he alone paid the price for our sins in his life's blood. He paid the penalty for our sins in his life's blood. The son rose again from the dead on the third day, meaning that the sacrifice the son made for us was accepted by the father. You know what that means for us? Both ends of the covenant were upheld by God himself. We don't uphold anything. He, he made it possible. By His giving his life and surrendering his life, all we're called to do is say, I believe, I trust. Thank you, Lord. I give my life to you. We simply trust in the completed work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. That's good news. And, and Jesus says, do this continually. Take the cup. To be reminded of who he is, what he has done, what he's doing. Can you rejoice in the work he's doing right now? Are you, are you the same person you were last year? Last month? Hopefully not. you're not hoarding toilet paper anymore. You're done with that. You're trusting the Lord now. <laughs> it's so nice to see your faces smiling. I love this. You can't see it in a car. You don't know if anything, anything was good or not, what you share. <laughs> Except beep, beep. All right, that's cool. Praise the Lord, you're listening. (laughs) What he's done, we're not the same people we once were. We, We take the cup and we're reminded of not only what he's doing, but what he's going to do. He's given us a future and a hope. He wants to use your life. In a special way for such a time as this, you guys, don't squander your time, waste your gifts, what the Lord's blessed you with. Man, time's ticking, time's running out. We're we are in overtime, we're in extra innings, whatever you want to call it. Because he's coming. In fact, when we take communion, look at the next verse. It's this powerful picture. As often, every time you partake of the Lord's Supper, you're proclaiming something. Literally, you're preaching. You're preaching a message. What's the message we're preaching? What what does it say? Look what it says. The Lord's death until he comes. When you take the bread and cup, you're preaching. Your life, your lips, you're preaching a message. You're saying, yes, I believe Jesus died for me. That he rose again and he's coming back again for me, for us. I believe he's returning. And I'm going to live my life in light of that, in light of what he's done. He laid down his life. By this we know love. How? 1 John 3.16, how do we know love? That he gave his life for us. In light of that, what should we do? John says, we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. There should be a corresponding response in our lives in light of what he's done for us. It's not to live selfish, self-absorbed, self-centered lives anymore. We are to live lives laying them down for one another in very practical ways. In very real ways. Listen, you reaching out to someone here, it may mean the difference in eternity. Someone may have come in here and wanted to take their life, and you shared with them. You reached out to them. You ministered to them. You laid down your life to help with children's ministry on a Sunday night service. Oh, I can't. I got a shop. Shop? Everything's shut down. Can't go anywhere. I can't. I got to do this. I got to do that. And the Lord's saying, Listen, I rescued you and saved you. I want to use your life. And you're so, and he's saying the Corinthians are, you're so, so self consumed, you're missing out on the big picture. Sadly, tragically. It's a powerful picture. It's a powerful proclamation when we live our lives in light of communion, of what he's done. What was Paul saying to the Corinthians? You're far from the heart of God. When you gather together, you're far from God's heart. There's an absence of love that is to mark the Lord's followers. What adjustments need to be made? Do you think some adjustments need to be made in Corinth? Or no? Just leave them there? Look at look what it says. Therefore, next verse, verse 27. Therefore, whoever eats this bread... Or drinks this cup of the Lord, how? In an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. <gasps> but let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, please notice their verbs, in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself. Why? not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. That, by the way, that's a euphemism for death. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, that we may not be condemned with the world. Therefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. But if anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, lest you come together for judgment, and the rest I will set in order when I come. So adjustments need to be made, and Paul begins with what? A heavy warning, serious warning. This is sobering, isn't it, this morning to consider this? Therefore, in light of the beauty and glory of the Lord's Supper, any person who eats or drinks the cup of communion, notice what it says in verse 27, with behavior that is irreverent, disrespectful, inappropriate, or dishonorable, will be held liable. In other words, the way you approach communion, you are disrespecting the body and blood of the Lord, Paul says. And please notice here, this is very important. Uh, it's not the person who is, in, who is unworthy. We're all unworthy, aren't we? It's, the, it's not about the person, rather the action. He who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner. That's so important to understand, because people misinterpret this text a lot. And then they think, I've got to make myself worthy for communion. None of us are worthy. Only Jesus is worthy. It's your actions, how you're treating others. That's the problem, your attitude. That's the issue. And listen, communion is a big deal. It's kind of like, you know, it's kind of like the flag. You guys ever get ticked off when someone burns our flag, the United States flag? I do. I'm like, I'm ready to throw down. It's not because someone's burning some, a cloth with cool stars and stripes. It's because of what the flag represents. Same way with the cup and the bread. It's what it represents. And they're, they're irreverent about it. It's become a meaningless deal, what they're doing. They're taking the whole meaning out of what's happening. Why? Because of the way they're treating one another, Paul is saying. Because, again, does God care about how we treat one another? Absolutely. And so Paul says there's something we need to do. Verse 28, what does he say we need to do? We need to examine ourselves. Not examine others. We do that quite often, don't we? We scrutinize. We criticize. It doesn't say examine everybody else. You examine yourself because, listen, when we take communion, we must not neglect the issues of our hearts and lives that are in conflict with the message and meaning and the themes of the cross of Jesus Christ. We must make sure our hearts are right and deal with unresolved issues. Listen, if, there, if there's unresolved issues in the church, you need to deal with it. Heavy warning here. Otherwise, you are inviting God's correction, his discipline, his chastening into your life. In fact, verse 29, the person who eats and drinks inappropriately, irreverently, you're bringing judgment upon your own life. Why? Because he says, you're not discerning. Discerning means to evaluate properly and come to the right conclusion. You're not evaluating properly and coming to the right conclusion concerning the lord's body what is the lord's body the church look at ver- look at flip forward with me real quick verse 27 of the next chapter look what it says with me chapter 12 verse 27 now you are the body of christ and members individually So what's Paul saying back in chapter 11? You're not discerning about how you're treating your brothers and sisters, the body of Christ, the members. It's your own selfish actions towards one another that's inviting God's corrective discipline into your life. What were the issues? Didn't we just read them? Self, selfishness, self-love, division, schisms, factions, fractured fellowship, drunkenness, partiality, favoritism, shaming the poor. I mean, we could, there's a whole bunch of stuff, isn't there? A me-first attitude. Because of this, look what it says, what was going on. This is so like sobering, Thirty, verse 30. Because of their treatment of their church family, judgment came. Notice the word many. Not just a few, but a lot of believers were weak. You know what that word weak means? It means drained of strength, powerless, and incapacitated. For me, it was just kind of awakening. There may be times when my treatment of my brothers and sisters in the church can cause me to be weak. I don't ever want to be weak, do you? There's many also, because of their treatment of others, are sick among you means chronic ill health, a lingering long-term illness. You know what that means? There may be times when my treatment of others can bring sickness into my life. He's not saying every time you're sick, it's God's corrective judgment. But there are some times, because of the way you're treating others in the church, that's why you're sick. Paul's saying some of you are experiencing physical issues that are a consequence of your sin. That's pretty heavy, isn't it? It gets heavier. Look at the last part. And many sleep. And many, many, it's a euphemism for death. Apparently, there's times when God sees fit to take the believer home as judgment for their sin, for their treatment of others, or their irreverent behavior. God says, you know what? I'm done. Come on home with me. Because you're doing more damage than good. It's needed, it's needed today, isn't it? Isn't that, isn't that a needed exhortation this morning in, our, in the church today? I don't, th- I don't know how many people are even teaching this. But sometimes we wonder, what's up? What's going on? And he's so gracious to talk to us, to speak to us, to instruct us, to help us stay the course, to stay on track. But he says in verse 31, if we, if, as God's children, if we would just judge ourselves we would not be judged. We would not be the recipients of his correction. You know what that tells me? We need to make adjustments ASAP right now. Did you notice, I I noticed this um, just studying and and then this morning, how many times he says, Lord? Did you guys see that in the passage we read this morning? Lord's Supper, Lord's Body, Lord, Lord, Lord. Is Jesus Lord? Is Jesus the Lord of your life this morning? That means he's Master, He's the CEO. He's the boss. Are you submitted to his authority is the question this morning. Because when you trust Jesus as Savior simultaneously, you are submitting to him as Lord too. You're saying, you're the boss. You're my Lord. You're the supreme authority in my life, and I will answer to you, and I will follow you. He's so gracious. Because look at this correction. Look what it says in verse 32. When this does happen, we're corrected by who? What does your Bible say? We're corrected by who? The Lord. Why? In order that we don't end up condemned with the world, with those who reject Jesus Christ. You know what that speaks of this morning? That speaks of God's love. He chastens and corrects us. Why? In order that we might get back on track. It's the expression of his love. Revelation 3.19. Jesus said what? Remember what he says there? As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, what? Be zealous and repent. Some of us this morning, you're not zealous. You need to be zealous and repent this morning. (laughs) Zealous means on fire. Okay, I get it, Lord. I haven't been treating my brothers and sisters the way I should I've been showing partiality. It's been all about me, myself, and I. And we repent. We get our hearts right. For some of us, listen, the Lord's going to assert you leave here. If you don't deal with him this morning, he's going to deal with you. (laughs) Because he loves you. And you get your heart right, especially before we take communion tonight. Whether you take it here or online or whatever. You take it in your home with your family. You get your heart right with him. Get back on track. Isn't it great he gives us a chance to get back on track? Fresh start. It reminds us of our fresh start with him. His mercies are new each and every day. We come to the communion table. Lord, search my heart. God, see what's going on here. Maybe I'm not seeing something that you're seeing. And help me be on track with you. And then Paul gives some practical application as we close. Check this out. He says, therefore, my brethren, family, when you gather as one, when you come, there's our our phrase again, come together, when you come together as one to break bread, what should you do? Wait for one another. (laughs) Wait patiently, don't just pig out. You know, I've seen that happen, by the way, at, have you guys ever seen that happen at the potluck's? It happens, doesn't it? Like, it's, it's hitting home. Just like locusts, like you haven't ever eaten before. Paul says, listen, time out. Your brothers and sisters, some of them haven't even, man, they haven't even had hardly a meal this week. This is their one time. It's not about you. Quit being so selfish. Quit being such a baby. Man. You're hungry. What does he say? Eat at home. <laughs> before, before you go to church, eat at home. Get stuffed. Get filled up. Otherwise, look what he says. Otherwise, you're gathering as one, and you're risk, you're, you risk inviting judgment. Pretty simple, isn't it? Isn't that simple application? And he says, the rest I'll take care of when I get there. But before we end, that word, uh, wait... For one another, listen to this, it's important for us this morning. It doesn't just mean, you know, I'm, I'm waiting, okay, get your food, man, hurry up. You know what it means in Greek? If you dig a little deeper, it means to receive one another. It means to accept one another. Has Jesus done that with you? Has he received you? With all your junk, all your baggage, all your nonsense, all your drama? Has Jesus received you guys or no? We're called to receive one another the same way. to accept one another. Did Jesus accept you? Or are you saying, you know, no, you stink. Like the remember the prodigal came home what did the, what did the dad do? He didn't say go man you need a shower dude get some irish spring clean up and took him back just as he was. Received him, accepted him. Did Jesus accept you? Did he say you got to clean up your act first, kid? Guess what we're supposed to do with one another? Receive one another, accept one another. This is a place to fit in, to be loved. This is not a place to divide and sow discord and division. Or to walk in unlove towards one another. We're to love one another. (laughs) To be welcomed, to be part of a family. Amen? In Jesus' name. Lord, thank you so much for your word this morning. The weight, the necessity of it. God, forgive us. You knew exactly what we needed to hear this morning, Lord Jesus. I pray, Lord, as we just um, examine our hearts, that we would give these things over to you. To confess our sins, to forsake them. To find mercy, to find your forgiveness, to find your purifying work. Lord, we need that fresh purifying work in our hearts. We don't want to dishonor you in any way but we want your name to be hallowed in our lives. So please work, Lord, this morning. Do a work, a fresh work. That we would shine even brighter for you. That truly people would recognize us by our love for one another.